0: here and get us started. Uh, First, thank all of you for joining us on this, uh, I don't know, new December 7th day as we dive into further of our reading of Anti-Oedipus. We are the Deleuze and Guatari Quarantine Collective, and we are about to dive into 42 pages of a single section, because that's really what I was looking to do. Um... Our assumption for this is that it will take us as long as it takes us. My guess is we will be doing this section through the rest of the year. Uh, So please join us when possible. We may take a day off here or there, but we are going to do our best to charge through. Uh, Before we move on, any last little announcements? Any last little thoughts that uh, uh, we want to get going, Jack? I know we've got some stuff in literature. Yes, we
1: just finished our reading of uh, Clarisse, the Spectre Clouseau, and we will be moving on now to *Pinchins The Secret Integration, this Saturday at uh, noon PBT.
0: Excellent, and uh, Bergson, uh, I think we're moving into, what's the new essay we're moving into?
2: Um, We are reading the second lecture of The Perception of Change this week. So, be
1: there
0: t- Thursday, um, 10 a.m. PT. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right. Well, uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, uh, give me two seconds to, uh, I need to get my fan to quiet down on my computer. Can you guys hear that in the background really badly? It sounds like you might be on in the back seat of a plane. <laughs> excellent. Give me a moment. All right, that may be the best I uh, I get it down to, so we'll see what happens. Um, The reading is going to be a little different today uh, because we uh, usually read paragraph by paragraph. Uh, I did a little bit of this reading last night, and there are a handful of paragraphs that are actually two to three pages long. And uh, as we get through them, I'm going to take breaks, and we're going to discuss what is said in much shorter form, When we end the paragraph, we'll have the longer discussion. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Beginning, chapter four, section five, the second positive task. We cannot, however, allow the difference in regime to make us forget the identity in nature. There are fundamentally two poles, but we would not be satisfied if we had to present them merely as the duality of the molar formations and the molecular formations, since there is not one molecular formation that is not by itself an investment of a molar formation. There are no desiring machines that exist outside the social machines that they form on a large scale, and no social machines without the desiring machines that inhabit them on a small scale. Nor is there any molecular chain that does not intercept and reproduce whole blocks of molar code or axiomatic, nor any such blocks that do not contain or seal off fragments of a molecular chain. A sequence of desire is extended by a social series, or a social machine contains desiring machine parts within its workings. The desiring micro-multiplicities are no less collective than the large social aggregates. They are strictly inseparable and constitute one and the same process of production. From this point of view, The duality of the poles passes passes less between the molar and molecular than to the interior of the molar social investments, since, in any case, the molecular formations are such investments. That is why our terminology concerning the two poles has necessarily varied. At times, we contrasted the molar and the molecular as the paranoiac, signifying and structured lines of integration, and the schizophrenic, machinic, and dispersed lines of escape, or again as the staking out of perverse re-territorializations and the movement of the schizophrenic deterritorializations. At other times, on the contrary, we contrasted them as the two major types of equally social investments, the one sedentary and by univocalizing, and of a reactionary or fascist tendency, the other nomadic and polyvocal, and of a revolutionary tendency. In fact, in the schizoid declaration, I am of a race inferior for all eternity. I am a beast, a black. We are all German Jews. The historico-social field is no less invested than in the paranoiac formula. I am one of your kind from the same place as you. I am a pure Aryan of a superior race for all time. one thing uh
3: the term black is different than french and it's the n-word
0: i but, i kind of assumed that okay <laughs> i kind of i kind of assumed that uh because that's i think that's intended to be a, a very declaratory derogatory statement so uh opening of this chapter opening of this section is uh sort of laying the groundwork for really what is the rest of this and understanding how molecular and molar formations work together that they are not two separate wholly different regimes that is this paragraph to a t unless i'm misreading please tell me if i am um this is just really overstating that and saying very clearly that actually what we're talking about is that molar is made up of molecular and vice versa that these things are are intrinsically tied together
3: Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's an attempt also at uh, getting away from dialectics, you know, op- uh, opposing into a binary form, two things that do not compose one another, and th- this kind of intra transformation in the sense that the molar is being transformed by the molecular, and the molecular is being transformed by um, the molar, was something pretty novel at the time when it was uh, written.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Because it that way too, like it's not moving toward like like truth or something like that. It's... Uh, Deleuze losing Guadagni's method here allows for flux and change to be constantly occurring as opposed to like just like you're saying, two, two oppositions necessarily moving toward um,
0: some sort of end. All right. Um... Any other thoughts, anything on this section? Uh, I really appreciated
4: reading the uh, How Do We Recognize Structuralism essay from Desert Islands that Deleuze wrote before reading this like paragraph specifically because of the way that it echoes some of the stuff he talks about in that essay You know, regarding what structure is and how it's made up of singularities and how it conditions the relationships between those singularities i think it helped me visualize and understand what he was talking about
0: please share a little bit Uh, i haven't read it
4: Uh, yeah i just mean it it has to do with that what i said like he he defines structuralism basically in the essay so i'm not going to be able to give like a super clear concise like one sentence summary of it because that's a huge body of philosophy but kind of like what i said he talks about the way that structure you know is made up of singularities right aka desiring machines or molecular desiring production uh at the same time as it you know is made up of the differential relations between those singularities and it differentiates and actualizes the singularities you know through time as it exists, and and that sounds like the way that the Molar machines condition individual molecular desiring production. At any rate, it's just it, it was useful in terms of um, seeing the picture he was talking about and and seeing how Deleuze specifically kind of would put this as part of a discourse, like a conversation with structuralism about structuralism.
0: (laughs) No, no, I I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Thank you. Um all right.
3: right. So just also it's um it's a move away from you know the tree graphs, you know, the arborescent logic of knowledge how for example you know into um, the anthropology of the time there was a you know we were making the 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 familial structure you know with the father uh the mother and then the uncle on both sides and how you know uh, the, the 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 taboo of uh, sex was getting into this and now relationships were possible or not and how those structures were actually the the the, the the blueprint of society and now social bonding real social bonding or um, they, they, they were expressed they, they were material expression of this template but to go into that manner to see like that everything like affects everything it's more to think it as like a soup you know it's like the molecular soup that is everything is in there and at the same time there's structure is it's there but it's always you know something that is temporary so it it gives a different form to uh
1: yeah and to kind of bring that back to this paragraph one thing i really enjoyed about just how they open up this um this section um and and it kind of goes to your point is like they're and it's kind of where we started this conversation as they clarify about the molar molecular having this interrelationship so right like it's not a strict binary and like it's a you know, there are no social machines without desiring machines. They intercompose each other. They enable each other in a sense. Um, I, I like that they're, they're kind of holding on this idea that it's not so much like the, uh, the molar and molecular itself, the paranoid and the schizophrenic, but there's a way in which, at least as I'm reading this, a way in which the molar does a paranoiac function and the molecular can do a schizophrenic. And there, this kind of goes back to their point about like tracing delirium, how there's like an oscillation rather than like a, um, rather than like a a clear. You have to go back to Rogers' point, like a clear dialectic between the two. It's it's more of this oscillation and this like, um, this constant interplay.
0: So this next. Uh section. Uh, This next paragraph is uh, significantly long. It uh, spans the next three pages. Uh, I am going to stop about halfway through uh, when I think we've got a good point to discuss uh, very quickly just to break down what is said and then we'll move on and then we'll do a full discussion after the fact. (sighs) All right. From the viewpoint of the unconscious libidinal investment, all the oscillations from one formula to the other are possible. How can this be? How can the schizophrenic escape, with its molar dispersion, form an investment that is as strong and determined as the other? What did I say? Did I say molar? God damn it. I'm going to start over. From the viewpoint of the unconscious libidinal investment, let me make a note that I, I've got to edit this crap out. Sorry, guys, at uh, two seconds, at 20 minutes and 10 seconds. <clears throat> Everyone has a moment to swear and say all the terrible things they want. All right. From the viewpoint of the unconscious libidinal investment, all the oscillations from one formula to the other are possible. How can this be? How can the schizophrenic escape with its molecular dispersion, form an investment that is as strong and determined as the other? And why are there two types of social investment that correspond to the two poles? The answer is that everywhere there exists the molecular and the molar. Their disjunction is a relation of included disjunction, which varies only according to the two directions of subordination, according as the molecular phenomena are subordinated to the large aggregates, or on the contrary, subordinate them to themselves. At one of the poles, the large aggregates, the large forms of gregariousness, do not prevent the flight that carries them along, and they oppose to it the paranoiac investment only as an escape in advance of the escape. But at the other pole, the schizophrenic escape itself does not merely consist in withdrawing from the social, in living on the fringe. It causes the social to take flight through the multiplicity of holes that eat away at it and penetrate it, always coupled directly to it, everywhere setting the molecular charges that will explode what must explode, make fall what must fall, make escape what must escape, at each point ensuring the conversion of schizophrenia as a process into an effectively revolutionary force. what is the schizo, if not first of all, the one who can no longer bear all that? Money, the stock market, the death forces, Nijinsky said, values, morals, homelands, religions, and private certitudes? There's a whole world of difference between the schizo and the revolutionary. The difference between the one who escapes and the one who knows how to make what he is escaping escape, lapsing a filthy drainage pipe, causing a deluge to break loose, liberating a flow Res- resecting a schiz the schizo is not revolutionary but the schizophrenic process in terms of which the schizo is merely the interruption or the continuation in the void is the potential for revolution to those who say what escaping is not that escaping is not courageous we answer what is not escape and social investment at the same time i'd like to stop there and discuss so far before we move on to the rest um so uh i am not following a lot of their language here and specifically what they're discussing so uh, overall i how i'm reading it is the idea we're talking about again continues the concept that uh the ability for us to move from the molecular to the molar instead we need to be thinking about actually that we're moving within these things we were playing within these poles in the large aggregates, large forms of gregariousness. The molar isn't necessarily preventing flight. The molar loves flight. It's the matter of uh, what it does with that. Please, someone expand on this.
3: So I don't know if we uh, <clears throat> if we use this in English, but like um, we say as. Uh... A, a flight forward in French, uh, une fuite vers l'avant, or it's like sh- shoveling in front of yourself. So like when you shovel in front of yourself, when you shovel snow, for example, you you always create a bank of snow that you will keep on, you know, shoveling to keep the function and keep the, the, the reproduction of the activity going. So in, in the paranoiac investment, it's that kind of thing. It's we escape um, ju- just to escape more in the way we were escaping before. So, and but the schizophrenic thing is to say, I escape, but I, you know, I I make it explode. I'm, I'm, I stop this continuation of the escape. So I, I create something new and I go into a different tangent.
1: Yeah, I think that's dead on. And this is part of the clarification they're making here, too, is like the molar, the molar is not itself paranoiac. It's the functioning of the molar that does something paranoiac, right? In the same way that, um, the molecular has the schizophrenic thing. Well, maybe the better way to say it is like in terms of the investments. The schizophrenic, when it produces this kind of um, revolutionary investment, then it, then we're getting into what they're after, right? Which is this task of sch- um, schizoanalysis, to do what Roger's discussing, as opposed uh, as opposed to simply like another reactionary investment.
0: Yeah, the molar operates because uh, the only way to describe things at large scale is essentially to average them out and have a discussion about how things basically work, but you never really have like, oh, here's how the stock market works is not how all the stocks individually work or the businesses or the stockbrokers. It's a very large aggregated version of a thing. And so by that nature, you sort of come with this nature of the paranoiac where You're saying how things work. You're coming from a place of uh, assuming knowledge where there is none. That's the nature of the molar. Uh, The opposing side of that is the molecular, obviously that operates the the opposite way where we're spending all of our time sort of diving around inside of these hyper details and not talking about how things are connected because that's not what the molecular is about. That's the the nature of how they behave when you're discussing them is, is a lot of this.
2: But I think they also get into in this section, I think it's coming up soon, this thing of like, uh, the way in which the molar is like, you know, a, a limit point, or if you, from the perspective of the molecular, it's not just like they said, the, on its own, you know, the molecular forces do what they do purposeless. And, you know, as we've been talking about the whole time, but that it, it's, we would be, it would be a mistake to just see uh, the molar or the quantitative or the large aggregates as what happens when the molecular piles up there's still a shift at, at the at the threshold, at the limit point between the regimes that changes the way things are operating. And the molar actually, as an investment in the molecular is is directing the flows. It's not just, um, I guess, we're, we're, I'm just restating what's been said, but it's not just ending flows or stopping them or blocking them or preventing them from doing what they should be doing. It's actually kind of intimately within them and Pushing them in the directions that they're going through. They talked about selection and the stuff with Nietzsche later on, but I think that speaks to the whole idea of anti-production. For example, in Capital, when they say it, it imbricates the entire system and becomes sort of like imminent to the body, the full body that is capital and stuff like that.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's you know we can we can give like specific example into institutions. For example, education. We have the school system, and you know the the molar. Um, perspective into this would be to say oh we need to do adjustments we need to do adjustments within the institution but you know it keeps its function it keeps its way of operating but the schizoid perspective would say let's let's <laughs> let's destroy the school and do something else like let's learn and do a different way instead of like being on uh, and in a university why don't we start a discord and do the same thing but in a different com- a complete different manner so that's that's one thing and the um, what I wanted to say was about the pipe. Uh, we gave the metaphor of the pipe many times. So the, the pipe is, you know, the structure that holds the water. You can modify the pipe and maintain the circuit of water going on. You can rearrange it, but always keeping it into a circuit. The moment you burst the pipe, the water goes on the floor. And then you're going to be having a complete different arrangement that was not a provision of the pipe. Do you understand what I'm saying? As it, it, it's not reproducing the, the same function. It goes, some, it goes somewhere else and produce a new set of effect that was not planned or uh, that was not statistically possible from within the pipes.
1: Yeah, exactly, right? Like the pipe begins to function a new way. It can produce something differently. But uh, I want to focus too with that, like the terms of investment. Is they, they seem to be taking the pains to, to say like the schizophrenic and the revolutionary are not exactly univocal so like they write there is a whole world of difference between the schizo and the revolutionary the difference between the one who escapes and the one who knows how to make what he is escaping escape collapsing a filthy drainage pipe causing a deluge to break loose liberating a flow resecting the schiz. the schizo is not revolutionary but the schizophrenic process in terms of which the schizo is merely the interruption or the continuation of the void is the potential for revolution. So to your point, Roger, there's something about what uh, what is performed as a schizophrenic process that can give the revolutionary investment here, right? Because if you do change the way the pipe functions or you allow it to function in a new way or you allow it to produce a difference... That is allowing for the uh, what they're talking about. I think, in terms of like, uh, the difference between the one who escapes and the one who makes what he is escaping escape. Right, because now you're, you're making the function escape.
3: Yeah, but I, yeah, but I think there's three level. The first is the differentiation within the molar assemblage, in the sense is the paranoiac, You know, it's to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, we're gonna rearrange stuff so we keep going. That's one thing. The schizoid um, perspective is to make a break. And then the revolutionary is to, out of this break, how can we make this a new line of flight? You know, there's a planning there. There's a there's a revolutionary will, will and a revolutionary direction. But the schizoid doesn't have that. And the paranoid, you know, really doesn't want this shit to go through.
0: Len, I definitely want to just harp on because I'm – I don't know how many of you have been spending time in Delusian circles the last few weeks. Uh, there's a huge misinterpretation where they, uh, people are saying that the schizophrenic is the revolutionary body, and it's not. They say that very clearly here. I just want to say it. The schizo is not revolutionary, but the process is the potential for revolution. It's, it's again, looking at how the schizophrenic mind works, looking at how the process affects it, how they utilize it for escape. Not the schizophrenic. Being schizophrenic is not the revolution. Just sorry. It's been a pet peeve of mine. Um, all right. I'm going to continue reading the uh, paragraph now. Uh, we are at halfway through 341 in my text. Uh, the choice is between. The choice is between one of two poles the paranoiac counter escape that motivates all the conformist, reactionary, and fascizing investments, and the schizophrenic escape, convertible into a revolutionary investment. Maurice Blanchot speaks admirably admirably of this revolutionary escape, this fall that must be thought and carried out as the most positive of events. Quote, What is escape? The word is poorly chosen to please. Courage consists, however, in agreeing to flee rather than live tranquilly and hypocritically in false refuges. Values, morals, homelands, religions, and these private certitudes that our vanity and our complacency bestow bestow generously on us have as many deceptive sojourns as the world arranges for those who think they are standing straight and at ease among stable things. They know nothing of this immense flight that transports them ignorant of themselves in the monotonous buzzing of their ever-quickening steps that lead them impersonably in a great immobile movement, an escape in advance of the escape. Consider the example of one of these men, who, having had the revelation of the mysterious drift, is no longer able to stand living in the false pretenses of residence. First, he tries to take this movement as his own. He would like to personally withdraw, He lives on the fringe, but perhaps that is what the fall is, that it can no longer be a personal destiny, but the common lot. In this regard, the first thesis of schizoanalysis is this. Every investment is social, and in any case bears upon a social historical field. So let's uh, break down the passage from Blanchot uh, piece by piece. Uh, What is this escape? The word is poorly chosen to please. Courage consists, however, in agreeing to flee rather than live tranquilly and hypocritically in false refuges, values, morals, homelands, religions, and private certitudes, our vanity and our complacency bestowed generously on us. Uh, These are molar investments. As simple as that. And yes, it does connect very much back to the group fantasy or the deliriums that exist as a group. Uh, Early, early, page 30 to 31 of this book. Thank you, Alyosha, for linking it in the chat. So that's basically what she's going over there, that we are invested in these grand molar concepts of values molars, homelands, religions, private certitudes that vanity and complacency bestowed generally, generously on us. And they always have as many deceptive sojourns as the world arranges for those who think they're standing straight at ease among stable things. Uh, the world builds you comfortable spots to support those. It's, again, the world of the paranoiac. You're able to find knowledge. You're able to find facts. You're able to find the way things work that will be in support of the knowledge you've assumed, the nature of the paranoiac investments.
2: It's such a great image, though. I love this. I mean, even that phrase, a great immobile movement, you know, like it it comes off as an oxymoron or a contradiction in terms, but it's almost like, you know, it's the retrograde movement of the true thing that also goes back to the beginning of the book and to Bergson as well. Like there, there's something we, we need to be able to see those more investments. And it's very easy in this language because it's like trying to create a new language to fall into a kind of crude structuralism or something that sounds a lot like an Althusserian kind of thing of, okay, these are the structures and these are the ideological apparatuses and this is how they call you. And this is how you get formed as a subject and interpolated, whatever, all that stuff. Not that that doesn't have value, but just that what they're doing here, like, it's like they're almost describing, like you know, the movement of the earth itself, or something which is—it's it, it, impossible for it to exist without this movement at a speed of which you—you you almost are like—I'm I'm borrowing a word from our friend Matt, who we haven't seen in a while—constitutively con, unable to see or experience because of the way that you know you've—you've you've, you've subject been subjectivized or whatever. But like, yeah, these things—it's not just that we exist, and there's these molar investments that just form kind of barriers in our life but that it's it's as though they send off these these m- massive like ships or rockets or whatever and on the, in the inertia of those things you know once the retrograde movement of the true has happened once the body without organs or you know the full body of the socius once once it's been serabat surd, as we always say like it, it takes on the appearance of solidity and so it, there's it has a kind of immobility to it but it it's predicated on a movement underneath it, which I think is just such a great image.
0: I I agree. I think it's beautiful. And I like how this uh, passage ends uh, with the man who sees this, finally, and he lives on the fringe, but perhaps this is what the fall is, that it can no longer be a personal destiny but the common lot. The understanding that ultimately because all investments are social, there is no sort of live a hermit's life wander away from everyone don't don't get involved these these investments are always uh, amongst many
2: yeah it almost it strikes me as like a almost like a Nietzschean refusal of the ascetic ideal which like again you could debate about that i think separately but they're definitely going in that idea of like asceticism and that like almost judeo-christian idea of like how you how you react to the bad desire is like co- couldn't be more for, far away from what they're trying to do.
4: Um, this section also reminded me of a quote from "How Do We Recognize Re- How Do We Recognize Structuralism?" Um, about the structuralist hero. Um, so I'll just quote it um, because I think it's relevant and it echoes the Blanchot quote very well. Uh, So Deleuze writes, thus there is a structuralist hero, neither God nor man neither personal nor universal. It is without an identity made up of non-personal invi- in, made up of non-personal individuations and pre-individual singularities. It assures the breakup of a structure affected by excess or deficiency. It opposes its own ideal event to the ideal events that we have just described for a new structure, not to pur- pursue adventures that are again, analogous to those of the old structure, not to cause fatal contradictions to be reborn depends on the resistant and creative force of this hero on its agility in following and safeguarding the displacements on its power to cause relations to vary and to redistribute singularities always casting another throw of the dice
5: can you
2: paste that in chat Muskie? just because i want to be able to go over it in my head
4: yeah one sec
1: yeah i think that's really important too like the the idea of the throw of the dice and that because like um because they're going to get into chance very shortly and how like um structure sort of uh, works upon chance right um but I, I think too like as we're reading this right like a lot of the potential for change seems to be with the revolutionary investment affecting how desiring machines are um are happening at this passive level or unconsciously
0: i think it might do some good to move on to the next paragraph as I, it continues into this concept very much. Um, let us recall the major traits of a molar formation, or of a form of gregariousness, herd instinct. They affect a unification, a totalization of the molecular forces through a statistical accumulation obeying the laws of large numbers. This unity can be the biological unity of a species, or the structural unity of a socius. An organism, social or living, is composed as a whole, as a global or complete object. It is in relation to this new order that the partial objects of a molecular order appear as a lack, at the same time that the whole itself is said to be lacked by the partial objects. In this way, desire will be fused to lack. The myriad breaks flows that determine the positive dispersion in a molecular multiplicity are fitted over the vacuoles of Lack that perform this fusion in a statistical constellation of a molar order. Freud demonstrated clearly in this respect how one went from psychotic multiplicities of dispersion, founded on the breaks or schizzes, to large vacuoles, determined globally, of the neuroses and castration type. The neurotic needs a global object in relation to which the partial objects can be determined as a lack and inversely, but on a more general level, the statistical transformation of molecular multiplicity into a molar constellation is what organizes lack on a large scale. Such an organization belongs essentially to the biological or social organism, species or socius. There is no society that does not arrange lack in its midst by variable means peculiar to it. These means are not the same, for example, in a despotic type of society or in a capitalist society where the market economy raises them to a degree of perfection unknown before capitalism. This welding of desire to lack is precisely what gives desire collective and personal ends, goals or intentions, instead of desire taken in the real order of its production, which behaves as a molecular phenomenon devoid of any goal or intention. All right, that actually is a lot more dense than I thought that paragraph was as I'm reading it now. Um, one of the things, uh, and I, good, Ken is in here. Uh, anyone who's into Lacan, thank you, Alyosha, went right to where my brain was. Um, in relation to this new order that the partial objects of a molecular order appear as lack, the same time that the whole itself is said to be lacked by the partial objects. Um, th- this is a direct response to Lacan? And yes, and why a response to everything needs to be much more political and have a discussion of the larger social machines that are happening? then Maybe?
5: I mean, I'm just trying to and get a grasp on it. Yeah, it's honest. a lot. It's a lot. Um, so, I mean, for Lacan, the object A isn't necessarily like an actual object out there in the world. I mean, it is, but it's it's not some physical manifestation. It's like attached to a physical manifestation. It's the cause of desire, not the object of desire. Um, and so in this way I think what they're saying makes sense and points to I don't know a nice criticism of Lacan's take on that. Uh, because it's just being produced through social repression. Um, like um I mean, it's it's like a sleight of hand. Um, and it's like it's like saying uh, that uh, women have penis envy or something like that. Um, it's uh, it's telling a person they desire that what causes their desire doesn't exist, and that's problematic. Um
0: <laughs> yes I, i'm it so how i'm this the sentence i'm specifically attaching to it is in relation to this new order that the partial objects of a molecular order appear as lack at the same time as the whole itself is said to be lacked by partial objects this is how they're defining or or explaining the lacanian concept of lack as object petite a uh, I, I think um because, again, they don't necessarily believe in lack, at least on the desiring machine level, that we do not have it. However, obviously, lack exists conceptually, or on the molar level, they're definitely saying, "By this is how we've had this happen, is we've, we've married lack to desire. Because what happens when we introduce the molar, we introduce these large social machines, is that partial objects appear to have a lack. They appear to have a, an essence of them missing,
5: yeah, but that lack isn't an actuality. The lack is produced. The the, the partial object the partial object just isn't immediately disclosing something.
0: Right. Yeah, well that's but it, they're saying it only happens on the molar order of things is how I'm reading it.
2: I think that's correct. I mean what, what we they're saying is all these if you think of it like the desiring connections, the design machines are producing connections and at, at at a certain point when that the statistical aggregates start to invest that all those molecular you know flows in a way that they're you know if you think about they're like kind of systematically reorganizing and re-plugging in and moving around these different connections on the body without organs like you know it's like it would, it would be like coming across a a printer cable that's not plugged into anything and you think well this is like it's missing something like how is this here it has to be it has to have a point that it plugs into. And then you can come up with this whole very symbolic structure narrative about why that's supposed to go. But like, you know that 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 original connection kind of had its own—I don't want to say internal logic—but it had its own force that led it to be what it was. It's and, and it's not necessarily something you can just reconstruct symbolically in the way psychoanalysis tries to do it. But to but if but the, the idea of vacuoles, I think, is a really good uh, phrase as well because it's almost like I was joking with someone in the chat a few weeks ago about. It's as though, you know, in a field like a farm field or something, they build a barn and then they put a sign on the front of the barn that says "Lack." You know, there's nothing in here. Yeah, you know? and it you, know, you have to carve out space. You have to destroy the plants and the land around it in order to build the, the the structure. But so that it's like the vacuoles end up kind of defining the warp and the woof in a way of the of the space, like Nazca lines or something.
1: You know. So. I'm reading it from the so what I'm latching on to is this point about gregariousness, right? It's like obviously they're invoking Nietzsche and the herd instinct, right? The way things like kind of move together, which they're they're gonna clarify they're talking about like molar formations or the organization at the molar level as a means of creating a unification, uh, or like a totalization of the molecular forces, right? So like how structure happens, yeah. And how structure happens and sort of um moves this stuff a certain way, which they're going to expand to say, because I think that's what they're getting at with the gregariousness is there's a way in which social production is moving, desiring production, even though they do work back on each other.
0: Well, and that's actually I think the second half of this paragraph is outlining that because they say essentially uh, when we organize lack at the large scale, which happens as we move from uh, molecular multiplicities to molar constellations. Uh, which is uh, really I like that phrasing almost at a poetic level explaining it it really helps understand their usage there but that specifically is what organizes lack on a large scale and by distributing lack on the large scale those investments basically enforce that desire and lack or the the essence of these molar investments become desire which gets pushed back into the machines and, and basically uh, it ends. They say instead of desire taken in the real order of its production, it behaves like, as a molecular phenomenon, devoid of any goal or intention. Which I like that phrasing as well.
1: Yeah, and so like what what I want to do real quick is talk about what they're they're doing with the word lack here, right? So like, because that's that's very important. That's like a sort of a linchpin for this paragraph. And so as I'm reading this, like. When they're talking about lack here, they're talking about how a lack is produced with a structural unity. So, right, like from the perspective of the molar, a partial object would seem to be lacking a structure, right? It would seem to be lacking a way of fitting into the aggregate, the totality, or if you want to be really blase about it, the big picture, right? In that sense, it has a deficiency. But they also say that there's sort of perspective shift, too, in the sense that, like, the partial object would then have this kind of conception of there being like a big picture, of there being like this, this aggregate to gregariously follow. So, really like in a sense, it's talking about how like uh, the the production of a structure kind of works upon uh, desiring production at this molecular level, and in that way, like there's the sense of lack, or like uh, the sense of their. There needing to be a structure, there needing to be more, in fact, more perhaps precisely, there needing to be a following of some structure, of some aggregation, some totality, that is, sort of works upon desiring production to organize it this way.
0: Yes, well, it's the the cross back and forth between the two sides. Um, I. I I keep going back to that moment when we're talking about basically the subject perceives lack. And it's the the usage of lack here and where lack is seen, uh, perceived as partial objects of the molecular order. Uh, this feels like it's them saying, as you have these larger investments and you're looking out at the world, you have this sort of innate underlying desire. It's, it's infecting too deep. But there's no such thing as lack on that side. It's all produced. It's a. It's not an actual absence. It's because you don't... You have partial objects due to how the molecular chain works.
1: Yeah, right, because the partial objects aren't really, like, fragments of a totality that's been lost, right? They're And they're going to go into this shortly about how this stuff is produced. But to make, like, a final point... Yeah, give me a minute on that
3: one. Okay, so I'll say something in the meanwhile. So there's, there's a... It's it's not written like this. Maybe they will come in. They will come to it after. But it's about the the the, the specific ontology of reference, you know. And the the ontology and in, in the in the structuralist mind, or you know, the psychoanalytic, is to put structure before the material uh, connections. But and the, this idea that order is behind everything, and because we're doing things that are not. Uh, in relation to this order that produces lack. But the thing in Deleuze and Guattari, the ontological plane behind it's chaos. It's not order. So chaos is already there as a reservoir of possibilities and stuff emerges. So that's the difference, you know. E- either stuff starts as a relation to the structure or stuff emerges and creates. The relations i think so and but
0: just not to i don't want to let you finish your point but it's their, their use of the phrase molar constellation here i think is so apropos because the constellation is our organization of a handful of stars and the symbols we're able to recognize against a backdrop of literally pure white light we just don't happen to be able to perceive it at our location our standard where our brain's working and all that so it's it's such an appropriate phrase of molar constellations because against that backdrop, like Roger's saying, is essentially pure chaos. which just happens to be how we're percepting and the level we're at that causes us to see these shapes. The same would be true of the molecular desiring machines. If you could just, if all you saw was all the desiring machines equally, this would be an unknowable nightmare universe. Like that's just, so we have to turn them into, we have to turn them into molar. Like that's the way it works. We just have to
3: and it's that that's why they talk about selection you know you're 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 the process of selection is creating the structure it's not that the structure is pre-given and we perceive the structure it's it's actually the opposite you know for example um uh, what they, they call a statistical aggregate it's not something that is giving it's something that we are actually picking from already so it's like this molecular soup that is out there and we picking the croutons out of it and like, you know, like, okay, this, oh, it's like alphabet soup. Same thing. You know, there's a chaos of letters, but we order them to make sense. So that's, that's one way to understand, you know, what they're trying to go.
0: Well, and I just want to make sure we say it for the record, because Muskie's line, the other reason constellations works is, well, we perceive lack between the stars because there's darkness. The truth is that's just simply because of a very specific wavelength through our perception that there is no, actual lack between stars
3: but lack between stars is something that we produce as we give importance into
0: the existence of star and the non-existence of the black space and we give a constellation we say that this is this is ursa the big bear and in between those dots and those lines that we see in our heads that, that we say that's the lack, that's the missing pieces, but there's nothing there. That's not how that works. There's actually stars. There's actually, it's actually full space.
2: I always go back to the Bergson, you know, between order and disorder, what you're really seeing is two orders, one of which you don't like. And so you're externalizing and personifying your regret. And that's really what lack is. <laughs> is that you're personifying, you're anthropomorphizing the, the regret that you experience as a subject or an intellectual or whatever in discovering a kind a level of
0: order that doesn't seem to make sense or isn't useful to you. And so and, as, as we yeah. go about our lives and we're producing inside of these desiring machines, as our flows are going, we are creating partial objects. That's just sort of the nature of all the millions of ways we're constantly thinking about dealing with stuff that when we integrate it into these larger stories is the same way that the constellations work or, uh, the way we, we may give a quick read of Anti-Oedipus if we only had an hour. We're not going to get all the details, and there's going to be pieces missing, and uh, instead of us attaching to those and going, oh, well, I didn't hear them discuss this entire thing, doesn't mean it's not in the book. It just means we didn't get to it, that you can't have that discussion. We can't symbolize that and simplify it. We have and, to go if to if all the details. Be,
3: if we wanted to be full Frojan about it, we would say that they just wrote this book to compensate something
2: what i was going to say just to just to hammer ram through that bergsonian point as well i think the funny thing too is that in a way like from a, from that perspective from a person's first per, per type perspective that function of not enjoying what you see in a sense or i don't want to psychologize it but you know of the mind uh, and our uh, our perception almost needing to be able to extract things from from the universe and separate out that which is not useful is is almost like it's not something that uh can be opposed in the sense that it is just the way we perceive but when you start to do metaphysics from the from that perspective that's when you're when you're trying to kind of reverse the natural process of thinking and go up back the chain of creation to try and understand it intuitively so in this sense what it's kind of i think that's where their bone is to pick with a lot of psychoanalysis and freud and even lacan like there's so many things it's almost worse in a sense that even though they they there's a lot of concepts that they made that were useful and and helped us discover the abstracts objective essence and all that stuff, it, it's almost like a worse crime in a way because they are deigning and they're trying to not do that. They're trying to use that like faculty of intuition and you know using concepts and philosophy to undo our like molar you know understanding of things, but then. They still stop halfway and just regress all the way back into common, like the worst kind of common sense, essentially. So it's just a, another way of looking at it, I think.
1: And I think too, this is kind of where we gotta keep in mind the passivity of all of this, though, because like it's not even so much that we're producing the structure here. And I think that's kind of what their their point about Freud is here, right? Freud demonstrated clearly in this respect. How one went from psychotic multiplicities of dispersion found on the braids or schizzes to large vacuumes determined globally of the neuroses and castration type. The neurotic needs a global object in relation to which the partial objects can be determined as a lack, and inversely. Right? So, like this is a way in which this is happening and that structure is being produced at the smaller level. But I I I think Roger's dead on about the structure is produced in relation to desiring machines and all that just acting right not necessarily beginning with a, a structure in mind or even caring about uh, a goal but in a way in which like structure kind of seems to arise in relation to that and sort of organize it but like to that point too it doesn't necessarily want to be organized but uh, in terms of the lack and that being fused to desire one and this is why it was kind of hard for me to phrase this is like when i read this and whenever i see them talk about lack i always have to wonder if they're talking about like the syllogistic or paralogistic so right like deprivation versus the phallus um
0: i my money is that they're talking about the uh, phallus because they use lack throughout this in the very lacanian way and so to me that and that's where i think uh if if someone's talking about lack and lacan in the same book there's not a way to do this except about the imaginary phallus.
1: Well, I want to venture a point there because I think there's a way in which both are happening here in the sense that if one takes the view of the structure, the molar, as um, sort of pre-given or like Roger was saying, like, you know, you start with the structure and explain everything in terms of that as an origin, then you are going to get the paralogistic sense you're talking about. But if you're talking about the structure being produced and working in relation, to desiring production, and this gregariousness, then it seems to me that we actually do see something of a deprivation, right, in the sense that an organization is possible.
0: Ken, uh, could you expand and re-say your point for the audio?
5: Uh, yeah, I can try. Um, you mean the, the point about object A?
0: Yeah, lack often sounds like recognition of something deemed unreasonable.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lack, I mean, it's exactly that. So, um, uh, well, you you said that part for me. Yes. Um,
0: Well, well, lack often sounds like a recognition of something deemed unreasonable. I should say it more clearly.
5: Yeah, um, and, well, it's exactly that. So, uh. The if you recall uh, an anamorphic object, um, a lot of the geometrical ones are exactly that. I mean, it's like it's a shape that's very unreasonable. It has some sort of um, uh, illusion to it, Um, and I think in desire, uh, Lacan saw this sort of unreasonableness and uh, attributed it to or created his object petite a to sort of make sense of it but i think the problem that we're finding here is that it's a concept um and what's interesting to me is that this is a recreation of the problem that he was trying to get past by doing away with primary narcissism um by pretty much saying that uh that freud's you know, uh, Oedipal position is a representation of the very fantasy that would um, cause one great discomfort, that, uh, you know, there was this time in your uh, mother's belly where there was no differentiation between subject and object, and you were one with the world and whatnot. And then there's a series of losses. So you're born. You're no longer one with your mom. You now start to delineate a difference between yourself and like objects out in the world. And there's the the being separated from the breast and so on and so forth. But then he comes up with the object A, which does exactly. I mean, it, the object A attaches to the phallus. Um, is is what it does. Um, or to any other. Uh, sort of partial object of the drive. Sorry, I'm starting no, no. to rant.
0: No, 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 <laughs> no, it, no. It's it's exactly that because it's the. It, not everyone here has a background or has read a ton of Lacan. And uh, uh Horak, uh Roger Horrocks, uh wrote a really good book on, uh, Lacan, uh, and he describes a lot of what. Uh, the way he talks about it is uh, Lacan, through lack, actually created our sort of ability to have meaning and desire. If an infant growing up, uh, as it was born, as it lived, had all of its needs filled at any given moment, and in the moment they were needs, the the difference between environment and infant, the difference between other and you, or anything, really, becomes effectively meaningless. Uh so because of this, actually, Lacan sort of did this twist on lack or need and played with this idea of actually that's the thing that's ultimately driving us because we don't have we have needs. we know we need to f- fulfill them. That's when the, the subject is able to sort of appear that this is where self becomes from. Uh, so it's a dissatisfaction is actually where we def- how we define ourselves uh, sort of with Lacan. Um, it's an it's interesting read of it.
3: But but to go back to this this other point about the structure and lack, you know, if we go back to Freud and his understanding of the penis envy, for example, as you know the fellow centric uh, understanding of the male as something that is already full, and you know of women always into the negative, and the little girl wanting the, the penis of the father, and then you know it 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 pushes her to always act into a search of this penis, but also into the destruction of the mother. So basically it's this template in the back that will inform everything that this person will do in the world. So that's, that's how, you know, this kind of structuralism linked to an order with the phallus at the center um, produces this sort of logic that we will always obey some kind of like, you know, background law that is looming over us all the time. So there I think they're not saying it specifically but i think they oppose this kind of you know reading of the world as we are only
0: um
3: you know phenomenons of this 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 underlying structure
0: well yeah and it's the 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 thing i was just talking about with lacan and lack they very much want to take a very different stance at it that lack isn't within us that desire is a positive force it's a I believe a lot of, uh, all of Deleuze's works are ultimately a sort of affirmation philosophy. And uh, Lacan, uh, generally in that direction, but they, by running with this, it's a really interesting way of saying, no, actually our perception of lack is created when we have these molar investments uh, because of the partial objects inside of the molecular chain. And the moment we well desire to lack is precisely what gives desire collective and personal ends, goals, or intentions instead of desire taken in the real order of its production which behaves as a molecular phenomenon devoid of goal or intention. It's a really interesting way to look at uh, things. Yeah, like Ken says, it, it becomes a narrative that confines movement. It controls you. Uh, the... the master becomes a slave kind of thing but interesting imagine having an existence of
3: always being defined by lack you know you're a woman you lack something you know they're your desire of the penis of wanting to be a man everything that you will do is confined by this as some as a black person you want to be white, you know, it's always this kind of logic as, you know, a person with disabilities, uh, you want to be somebody without disabilities. So there's always the smaller aggregate, the smaller point that you're living in reference to and you, des- you desire it and you're trying to attain it. But there's always a distance
0: between you in this attainment and and there there always is because it's almost like Zeno's paradox because if you take uh the the opposite of let's say a black transgender woman like just go down the line of all of the non-normative things disabled like all of that the opposite opposing side there's no one who's perfectly normal in the molar sense like that's the exactly. And that's what
3: they say. There's nobody in the molar perspective. Yeah. But the thing, if we put the molar perspective as a normative or something that truly exists and some something that you know we are striving to, it's completely insane. It produces a completely paranoiac society.
0: We, we may live in one, because it's the, this. This reminds me uh, not to go reactionary, as I am not. But anytime you hear someone say uh, "all lives matter," that 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 phrase is this is this idea of uh, I I'm not they're almost saying yeah we get it you're not molar and you are not represented as the normative part of society but neither am I even though in relations yes in power relations and all those things but that's not how it feels you feel like you have lack no matter who you are uh, wealthy white cisgendered man you feel you feel it forever uh it's it's lack but yeah and that's that, that that's the question of the becoming
3: because when you're into the molar the molecular position uh you know you have possibilities of moving you can become something else or you know go towards the molar position but you're always defined in society because of the underlying you know the not not the underlying but the superimposed structure that we put onto it you're always stuck within that structure to define yourself according to the norm or to derivate.
2: Uh, i don't know if uh, it, it helps at all but i was i was venturing a uh, sort of speculation in, in chat as well that like th- i think the reason why Deleuze and guitar is so obsessed with talking about lack and critiquing it is because there is a way in which what's another thing that psychoanalysis, like the abstract subjective essence of desire, something that it recognizes that it is is often talked about by all kinds of fields from structuralism to literary theory and whatever, uh, is the, the concept of suspension of meaning, and you know that you can't have meaning without suspension of it. There needs to be a, a space from which meaning uh, come you know is produced and. There's there's some way in which they almost, like, the way I see it, it's like they're almost collapsing that need for, because it's heavily symbolic and heavily linguistically informed way of speaking about things in psychoanalysis, and especially in Lacan, that, like, the, the true suspension of meaning isn't a, a place of absence, but it's a productive phase in being. So, like, that, that thing where they talk about death as a model and an experience, like, that is the the thing that's embedded within production, within desiring production, not opposed to it. It's not simply that desire always desires its own end and that's, you know, something that's opposite to it, but that that anti-production is within it and what allows it to become uh, more sort of like extrapolated into larger and and larger things. So like it made me think again of that thing. I always quote of Simondon's conservation of being in becoming that like, it's literally a productive suspension of meaning that moment and that space from which other things come that, That vacuole, as they call it, is just, it's a moment in that ontogenesis. It's not a, it's not the opposite of it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep.
3: Because this clear, it's the same concept as the clearing. The clearing in Heidegger that produces the same kind of thing. It's an opening that allows for a new sedimentation of senses and forces and flux and matter and all that stuff. And you need, you need to open, you know, and the moment you don't have an opening, you don't have a possibility of becoming
0: It's it's a really, really great way of looking at things. Uh, I do want to move on and read the next because I, think, I don't think we're going to have to do much summary on the next uh, paragraph, maybe two, because I think they are continuing the discussion we're having right now, but I want to get through them. Uh, <clears throat> Nor must it be thought that the statistical accumulation results from chance or that it is a random result. This accumulation is, on the contrary, the fruit of a selection exerting its force on the elements of chance. When Nietzsche says that the selection is most often exerted in favor of a large number, he inaugurates a fundamental intuition that will inspire modern thought, for what he means is that the large numbers or the large aggregates do not exist prior to a selective pressure that might elicit singular lines from them, but that, quite on the contrary, these large numbers and aggregates are born of this selective pressure that crushes, eliminates, or regularizes singularities. Selection does not presuppose a primary gregariousness. Gregariousness presupposes the selection and is born of it. Uh, that's, the, that's by the way, that's kind of the entire book of Antiochus, Is that sentence maybe. Um, culture, as a selective process of marking or inscription events, the large, oh, sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Uh, culture as a selective process of marking or inscription events the large numbers. Sorry, what is the real sentence there? This, I think this text has the wrong word. Invents,
1: like an, an invention.
0: Oh, uh, culture as a selective process of marking or inscription invents the large numbers in whose favor it is exerted. That is why statistics is not a functional but structural and concerns chains of phenomena that selection has already placed in the state of partial dependence, Markov chains. This can even be seen in the genetic code. In other terms, forms of gregariousness are never indifferent. They refer back to the qualified forms that produce them by creative selection. The order is not gregariousness to selection. But on the contrary, molecular multiplicity to forms of selection performing the selection to molar and gregarious aggregates that result from this selection. Yes. Uh, yes, and uh, before we say anything, I want to, uh, just because uh, Roger will over and over and over, if you haven't done it, uh, there's a Markov chain link. Uh, if you Google Markov chains explained visually, it is actually the first uh, result. Uh, and in DuckDuckGo
5: the
0: chat. and it's also in the chat but it's, it's it's a fully worthwhile thing to check out if you aren't aware of what Markov chains are but uh, the idea of moving back and forth between A and B and how these things work and how the pressures uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful site that goes over that but specifically here we are talking about the extension and a very clean way of saying what we were saying before and the line here that I love Selection does not presuppose a primary gregariousness. Gregariousness presupposes the selection and is born of it. Is that basically that's the summary of the entire book in like one sentence, I think. Is that fair? The answer is yes. I don't know if the answer is yes. No one's answering, so I'm having a conversation with myself in front of 25 fucking people. Love it. I'm glad you love it. Um, it essentially, uh, by defining the thing, you've invented the thing. Uh-huh. Yes, you know,
3: it's an easy example. It's the uh, it it's the production of uh, a god and a, a religion that creates order into the world. So, if you have god and you have order, everything responds to this order. Everything is simple. But at the same time, stuff has been adapted, you know, uh, the biological form are adapting to the, 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 the earth and, you know, its atmosphere and the pressure and the gravity and everything. And they all emerge in relation to different forces. But um, and then the, there's an order that arises from this. It's an it's a order out of chaos, but it's not an order out of the God order, you know. But we, th- this is how we explain things. We, we have the explanation, and then we explain things in regard to the explanation instead of explaining how they came to order.
1: Yeah, right, because if structure is produced or gregariousness is produced, we're going to start talking about gregariousness as though it... Um, we're going to start with that, like, having been produced, right? But if we mistake that for the, um, for, like, the cause of everything... Then we fall back into like the um, the very problem they're describing.
0: Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, continue on, Um, unless anyone has any last thoughts. I will continue on to the next paragraph. What are these qualified forms, formations of sovereignty, as Nietzsche said, that play the role of totalizing, unifying, signifying objectities that assign organizations, lacks, and goals? The full bodies determine the different modes of organizations—sorry, the different modes of the socius, veritable heavy aggregates of the earth, the despot, and capital, full bodies or closed substances, which are distinguished from the full body without organs, or the naked matter of molecular, desiring production. If we wonder where these forms of force come from, it is evident that they are not to be explained in terms of any goal or end since they are what determines goals and ends. The form or quality of a given socius, the body of the earth, the body of the despot, the body of capital money, depends on a state or degree of intensive development of the productive forces, insofar as these forces define a man nature independent of all the social formations, or rather common to them all, what the Marxists term the givens of useful labor. The form or quality of the socius is therefore itself produced, but as the unengendered, that is, as the natural or divine precondition of production corresponding to a given degree to which it affixes a structural unity and apparent goals, to which it falls back, and whose forces it appropriates, thereby determining the selections, accumulations, and the attractions without which these forces would not assume a social character. It is indeed in this sense that social production is desiring production itself under determinate conditions. These determinate conditions are thus the forms of gregariousness as a socius or full body, under whose effect the molecular formations constitute molar aggregates.
2: Can I ask that we discuss without initially referring to a thousand plateaus this section about
0: i'm um, actually going to generally ask that we don't talk about a thousand plateaus anymore all right, during all right. reviews
2: I
3: won't, I won't say anything then <laughs>
2: no no it's, it's because we had a discussion earlier last week about um i think ben and it was helpful actually was was talking about the definition of empty and full bodies and atp but then also it sort of came out that there is a quite a bit of a difference with anti so i'm just looking at this sentence Full bodies or clothed substances, which are distinguished from the full body without organs or the naked matter of molecular desiring production, because because this is something I'm trying to grasp. Like, is it this, Is it that um, the body without organs, like the socius and full bodies, are almost like another sort of layer caked on to the body without organs? So they're not. You know, the body without organs is not the synonymous with the full body. Essentially, you can have a full body without organs is another thing, I suppose. But but here. They seem to be talking about bodies distinct from body without organs. Jack, were you going to say something? The body without
1: organs is not the socius.
2: No, right. And they actually explicitly say, when I went back to the beginnings around page 30, there's a great quote I can find where they say it's the body without organs is like the residuum in which the socius is able to, to exist. But I'm just trying to understand... This, you know, full bodies are clothed substances, which are distinguished from the full body without organs. So those are clear, they're, they're explicitly saying they're two different things. So a full body then, it, so it, what is a full body then in this definition, if a full body is, is a socius, then the way then it might just be restating the same thing, the full body uh, is not the full body without organs, it kind of comes to inhabit and grows out of the body without organs, if, if I'm saying that right.
1: I mean, it's regimes, right? Like the body without organs is happening at the molecular level and exists in as a tangential to like the social production and the socius. So they're almost like, they kind of clash with each other, kind of. But the, it's like that diagram on like 282, where like desire has been conditioned by the socius and hits upon the body without organs as a limit and it's either going to bounce back upon the socius or uh move through the, um the body of that organs.
3: Uh, yeah. But that's what I written in chat. The the full body is the body with zero intensity, you know, because there's no possibility of uh it's it's, you know, it it reaches full capacity. And it so there's a difference between uh, the body without organs, that is uh, a body of, in, uh, of um, uh, it's an intensive body. It's something that can move, but the the, the full body is not moving. So, yeah. but is the full body, would that be
2: distinguished from like the adjacent part, for example? Because when they talk about the three syntheses and they talk about the different things that are produced, they say I can't remember the first one. Then they say immobile motor and then the adjacent part. The immobile motor it corresponds to the BWO. The adjacent part would correspond, in my mind, to any kind of experience of subjectivity or possibly the socias. I mean, are we saying that those are equivalent then? Full body and that
3: uh, adjacent
2: part, or uh,
3: no? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of difficult because the language is similar, but. Um... You know, the the, the motor and the adjacent part is like the piston into a motor. They keep moving and they produce something. But the full body is the body, even it's like a motor that is kind of stuck. It's not moving. It's something that is, you know, doesn't need to move to produce itself or to exist.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right because like as I'm thinking about it, like the socius exists in relation to social production, right? So like the earth as this kind of like producing product entity right Uh, like as they're talking about here where it's like it almost appears this divine precondition or like as this enablement like roger's saying right the earth is pretty it's not going to really go anywhere it's going to be all this stuff kind of happens in relation to it without the um whereas like the body without organs is constantly produced at this more molecular level so like the schizophrenic table versus, um, like, the schizophrenic pipe, right? Like, there's a way in which the body without organs is being produced as the, and I'm thinking of full body here is like, basically, like, the, is what we're calling an assemblage, but like, um, what is produced out of the first synthesis and therefore, like, as that's consistent through the, um, through the rest of the syntheses. So, like, Foucault talks about a full social body. Right Like in the same way, like a body of desiring machines. But the body without organs is of course, right. So like another way of talking about partial objects is organs, right? The body without organs is that body without those organs. Yeah If that makes sense, the like, Roger's right, saying it really well, it's it's got the potential to be produced um, alongside all these different assemblages.
2: I don't know if you can see the I just pasted a quote from page 33. This is the one I was thinking of. Um, The social machine or socius, maybe the body of the earth, the body of the despot, the body of money. It is never a projection, however, of the body without organs. On the contrary, the body without organs is the ultimate residuum of a deterritorialized socius. The prime function incumbent upon the socius has always been to codify the flows of desire, to inscribe them, to record them, to see it, to it, that no flow exists, that is not properly dammed up channel regulated. Does that, kind of correspond to this section because i mean i feel like we're kind of talking around each other but like when they're saying the formations of sovereignty in this Nietzschean sense which i don't know a lot about or full bodies determine the different modes of the socius i mean it, it sounds like that quote so it's the the full bodies are the form are the qualities or what is the word they used the form or quality the way that the formal quality of a given socius is determined because they're saying bodies plural, right? They're not saying the full body of the socius. They're saying the full bodies determine modes of the socius. So they're they're almost like the I guess like you're saying, like the like maybe the organs or the or partial objects. You know, I'm I'm probably mixing terms here, but I'm just trying to
3: But that's that's the problem. You know, full bodies and the full body without organ is it's completely different.
2: Right. Yeah. That's that's I'm trying to
1: in in that specific instance, I'm reading full bodies as socius, because they say the full bodies determine the, the different modes of the
0: socius. Full body is the socius, is how I'm reading that, and I, how I read it when they say uh, that the the full body. Uh... Capital is the body without organs of the capitalist, or rather, the capitalist being. As such, it is not only fluid and petrified substance of money, for it will give the sterility of money the form whereby money produces money. It produces surplus value, just as the body without organs reproduces itself, etc., etc., etc. The the full body is uh, a paranoiac machine that repulses. By nat- that that's kind of that side of things is how I read it. The socias- Could they
2: be that? and this might be a tangent we can get into later, but there's a really fascinating section from early on, also in these like 30-ish pages um, in the beginning, where they talk about technical machines, and they have this whole discussion of how uh, the way antiproduction works within mo- the molecular is from within that desired production, whereas yeah, in the socius and in the molar aggregates, uh, antiproduction is always an extrinsic condition that comes to sort of condition the aspects of the socius. And they have this whole definition of technical machines as distinct from the social machines. It almost sounds to me like the full bodies are things that traverse the socials and make them what they are, but are maybe technical machines. That, again, I'm just speculating here.
1: Well, again, they, they work back on each other. And I was probably too quick to use the word is there. I, I should say are, ina- are mutually enabling because like, so as I'm thinking about as as social machines connect with one another, you get these aggregations or whatever like socius exists in relation to that and conditions it conditions it and in that there is then you get these full bodies or clothed, clothed bodies like they're talking about here whereas like the full body without organs or the nat- naked matter the molecular desiring production like this is in in the sense that as the as the connections are happening in that first synthesis and the body without organs is produced and you get something like the schizophrenic table right, where the producer product entity happens and that's able to affect production and affect how the, right, it's going to affect recording, it's going to affect um, intensities and subjectivity when the consummation happens and as it's happening. So, like, I, I think the trick here is that, um, and hopefully this, this helps answer the question you're asking, it's that, like, since they kind of bump up against each other but also work, work on one another, like with the social body, especially with like something like the earth, where we talk about something being natural, right? So we're talking about like the primitive territoriality, how something naturally emerges, right? So we're talking about like what they're saying here, like a divine precondition. So if we're talking about how mosquitoes happen, the full body of mosquitoes, so to speak, or like the, the full body as mosquitoes is directly in relation to uh, that full body which is the earth right the producer product entity you don't get the collection of mosquitoes as natural without the earth there but the earth socius, being this sort of non-productive yet enabling thing
2: yeah Yeah, i think no i was gonna say this is all helpful and i think i'm gonna keep Looking, reading, I think, I think there's something there because they're going to bring up the Mar- Marx's, um falling rate of profit and the counteracting tendency. And more and more, I think it, it does kind of make sense that they're trying to frame this as this is the part of the, of the, what makes the qualities and the, the, the form of the socius possible in the sense that, you know, that just like there's a, again, a subject, abstract, subjective instance of desire of, of labor, which produces this thing over here. It has its machines that capitalists invest in, and if, and the more they invest in them, ironically, the profit rate tends to fall because of the suppression of of like the prices and stuff like that. That this can, can correspond as well in technical social machines. But I'm gonna keep doing some
3: more research so I can formulate my thoughts. Okay, let's go. Let's go back to these two terms and try to define full bodies. For example, when they say about the, uh, I don't have the English version. God damn it the the earth and the, 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 the whatever else that they're saying it let's let's say it's for example God. God is a zero intensity entity. you know God doesn't defer from itself. It's never going to move. It's something that is complete. It's nothing, something that will never change. But a full body without organ when they say it is the surface of description. It's like the egg with all the potentials in it. So the the God, you know, like, let's do the chicken of the egg with like God or the egg, God, full body, egg, body without organs.
0: Uh, And let me try to say another way. Um, The body with organs is a molar investment that is fully made up of molecular chains. If we were to just remove molecular change from molar things, we would essentially have the body without organs that surface of meaning that has nothing that's pure potential that doesn't have actual desiring machines underneath it has no lack there's no uh, capital as a great example doesn't have a lack when we talk about it the same way that I would maybe feel if I were talking about a mercedes Benz or a luxury car uh, those Those things have lack sort of instilled in them conceptually because we're talking about. Large molar investments that don't have that have a lot of detail or parts. Um, what a man is, as an example, that has lack in it. It's weird and difficult. But capital doesn't. Capital's just capital. God is just God. Earth, the despot. These things are fully completed molar things that have no need for those the organs, the desiring machines that drive and that create the partial objects. Yeah, good explanation.
1: I I think we want to be careful here though. I'm not sure about the body without organs as a molar investment. I think of it as like existing in relation to molar
0: investments. Is the surface of Well it's 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 not it's not it's not so yeah, let me let me say it's not a molar investment in the same sense. I'm using it as a a poetic direction. There's no such thing as a molar investment without molecular machines. This is kinda like, hey, but imagine if there were. Like it's not possible, but imagine if there were. And so, yeah, the, the socius, the, the body without organs doesn't have, is not a molar investment, is not those things, but they are essentially concepts or percepts that have unto them completeness in the same way because they don't have the baggage of having molecular chains. Because they aren't molar, actually, because they're not investments, but they're these great ideas. Well, but you know,
2: is, is it also that what makes them? Sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say maybe maybe because I don't think you were saying this, but to just for our own kind of like round robin here, what what ha- what their completeness isn't in, in that they are actually complete in themselves. It's in in the f- sense that they are totalizing, right? Like in the sense that they organize all the connections to be sort of like re reformed or reconnected around them, Correct. rather than having intrinsic sort of wholeness to them.
0: Yes, uh, yes.
3: There would be two opposites, though. What's that? There would be two opposites, though, In, in the sense that, you know, if there are full bodies organizing things around them, the body without organs is another form of organization or where stuff can arise from or intensify from that's kind of why I brought up the earlier quote where they
2: say the thing about the, the body without organs is the ultimate residuum of a deterritorialized territorialized socialist. So like, if we're saying, and if if they're saying the full body is not the full body without, then that's kind of why I, I'm, and it's not just the socius if they're saying full bodies, unless they're just saying earth despot capital, which I don't think they're saying because capital we've already said, they've said elsewhere is a BWO of capitalism. Like, there's something about the full bodies and the way that they're talking about it that feels like it, it grows parasitically or on top of the surface that has been
3: created. I, well, I, 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 yeah, let's yeah. go back to the zero intensity, you know, uh, full intensity, body without organs, all possibility of inscription, full body, zero intensity. So the, these are two poles in on this axiom. But it's really difficult because it's the same terms that they use with a slight variation, but like recognize the singularity of full body without organs and the the plural factor of full bodies or clothed substances. You know, it's a substance that is like surrounded and it's already wrapped. But, you know, there's... um, Before making a substance, it would be like flux and matter, for example. So it's all always this dichotomy between
0: the two positions uh, it's almost a uh, pure organization to the point where it's effective it's uh, affecting it's parasitic it's a virus uh the body without organs is this thing that exists as a pure surface of recording this is how things are and then this is what a thing is and here's how things work but it doesn't have anything else except that. It is unproductive, unconsumable, useless, except for recording production of desire. Uh, and because of that, we feel like it. desiring machines come from it. It comes from capital. It comes from the despot. But it's not. It's the opposite. We have... We have basically, all this thing does is basically demiraculate. It, it is... Uh, uh, what were you saying, Roger? The the phrase you were using is um, uh, zero intensity. Yeah. So, something truly zero intensity is the heat death of the universe, which is technically what all of us are ending up going towards no matter what. But this sort of, it naturally attracts things to become also zero intensity. It's such a negative that everything that touches it basically becomes just connected and done. Almost I keep thinking about Ice-9. Jack made me go back and reread. Uh,
2: just to, before we, I think God we should move but pull the rug under from under myself. I found the page 281, and they, they basically say here, the socius, the earth, body of the despot, capital money, are clothed full bodies, just as the body without organ is a naked full body. So I would need to figure out how to square that away with where they say that capital is more like a BWO. Maybe it's, maybe they're, kind of exchanging the terms i don't know but uh, maybe we can shelve that
1: (laughs) so i think you got to keep the perspective in mind too though right Like the molecular molar with and it helps to understand too that like we talked about this in a review session the despotic territoriality right Uh, the despotic machine the despot the full body of the despot the despot that is happening as a social collection Right. So like, it's not simply the dust, but itself to make a joke out of it, although maybe it's not a joke, it takes a village to raise a dust, but right in the same way it takes a village to raise a child, like the despotic extends upon social machines in that relationship, the the full body of the earth, like with mosquitoes, well, how do you get, oh, they're just naturally produced, right? The earth does it, but that's not exactly it, is it? Like the there's a lot of things happening at this molecular level that produce them, um, that produce mosquitoes, that mosquitoes are produced from, right? Just in terms of like um, what we tend to call like natural selection or whatever. Um, in the same way, right? the earth is there as this producing product entity. It, it seems to almost produce and seem to be the product. Um, it's it's sort of like uh use something like a Simondaness term, it's almost like stamped upon it. Um I can be a little bold. But with the body without organs at these levels of um, especially where you're looking at it with those diagrams, right? Because the body without organs is like a limit for social production. And because these desiring machines at this molecular level at this molecular level, the way that that assemblage comes to be, that body without organs Acts as um, I think the reason they're calling it naked there is to kind of just differentiate it from from like a something more aggregated or clothed in that manner. But in, in that sense, because it's happening at that more molecular assemblage level, as opposed to a more molar assemblage, that space for potentialities, like Roger is saying about, there's a uniqueness about that, especially as a deterritorialized socius, because at that level. The body without organs has this potentiality for difference, right? It has this potentiality for for movement, for going somewhere else. Whereas the, the sociuses, they don't exactly have that, right? Like they're working on social production. The effects there are at the so at these uh, social assemblages, if I can try and use an a thousand plateaus term there. But, like, the, you know, it kind of comes down to the three syntheses here.
0: All right, um, I'm gonna to move to the next paragraph and we will actually end on this one because uh, as it works out. <clears throat> now we can present the second thesis of schizoanalysis. Within the social investments, we will distinguish the unconscious libidinal investment of group or desire, and the preconscious investment of class or interest. The latter passes by way of the large social goals and concerns the organism and the collective organs, including the arranged vacuoles of lack. A class is defined by a regime of syntheses, a state of global connections, exclusive disjunctions, and residual conjunctions that characterize the aggregate being considered. Membership in a class refers to the role in production or anti-production to the place in the inscription, to the portion that is due the subjects. The pre-conscious class interest itself thus refers to the selection of flows, to the detachment of codes, to the subjective remains or revenues. And from this viewpoint, it is indeed true that an aggregate comprises practically only a single class, that class which has an interest in a given regime. The other class can constitute itself only by a counter-investment that creates its own interest in terms of new social aims, new organs and means, a new possible state of social synthesis. Whence the necessity for the other class to be represented by a party apparatus that assigns these aims and means, and affects a, to, and affects a revolutionary break in the preconscious domain, the Leninist break, for example. In this domain of preconscious investments of class or interest, it is therefore easy to distinguish what is reactionary or reformist, or what is revolutionary. But those who have an interest, in a sense, are always of a smaller number than those whose interest, in some fashion, is had or represented. The class from the standpoint of praxis is infinitely less numerous or less extensive than the class taken in its theoretical determination. Whence the subsisting contradictions within the dominant class, i.e. the class pure and simple. This is obvious in the capitalist regime where, for example, primitive accumulation can take place only from the benefit of a restricted fraction of the whole dominant class. But it is just as obvious for the Russian Revolution with its formation of a party apparatus. I want to read the footnote that uh, was just there in the previous sentence. Maurice Dobb studies in the development of capitalism, chapter 3, reference note 70. There are reasons why the full flowering of industrial capitalism demands not only a transfer of titles to wealth into the hands of the bourgeois class, but a concentration of the ownership of wealth into much fewer hands.
4: Uh, this paragraph gets at a question I had, uh, when I was reading, uh, so they introduce these social syntheses in this paragraph, and are they supposed to be, like, uh, analogous to the paralogisms of the unconscious that they bring up earlier, and why?
0: Can you say that another way?
4: Yeah, uh, global connections, exclusive disjunctions, and residual conjunctions are, like, almost exactly, if not exactly the same as the, you know, uh, paralogisms of the unconscious that they introduced in Chapter 1, you know, contrasted with uh, partial connections, inclusive disjunctions, and, I guess, nomadic subjectivity for the last one. Uh, I'm wondering... If someone can help me make sense of like is this a rhetorical move where they're explaining that the paralogisms came from you know the historical context of capitalism is is that what they're getting at uh, or are they not meant to be an echo a repetition of those uh, concepts from the first chapter
2: no I think it I think you're right and I don't think that's really diverting from this is where the whole previous discussion got into and we don't we don't need to get back into it again. I think the whole book, they've been saying, you know, that on these different levels of of, of uh, perception, these different regimes of like, looking at things there, there's a BWO, as far as like, so called individual consciousness, or even group fantasy, just as much as there is on the level of like, society, you know, and, and that's, there. they're trying to de individualize, you know, the whole thing of like, lack has to be collective. So it can't be some individual experience. Therefore, it's political, like, all of this and talking about the virtual and even that structuralism essay you talked about, like there, it seems like they're talking about a class in the same kind of way in the way that it becomes, it it's constituted on a, on a virtual level, you know, for them, since there's no difference between desiring production and production of the, the real or the social, like the BWO will be produced at kind of like any level. So to me, this is just another reflection of the same, like those same syntheses were always both existing on a, on a microscopic and a, like a macroscopic scale.
4: I think I, okay. Yeah. What you said about it being microscopic and macroscopic, I think, I think it makes sense. It's not like an inconsistency. It's, it's a rhetorical move that they've been working up uh, towards since the beginning. And it's about the kind of perspective that they're taking on this uh, um on desiring production and, and sort of uh, gregariousness, how gregariousness is produced.
0: Uh, how I'm reading that sentence and the next one is also that there. Uh, one of the questions we had very early on is they essentially talked about how the bourgeoisie or the proletariat doesn't the proletariat doesn't effectively exist anymore. They talk about class and that shift. Um, how I'm reading when from that. From this viewpoint, it is indeed true that an aggregate comprises practically only a single class, that class which has an interest in a given regime. The other class can constitute itself only by a counterinvestment that creates its own interest in terms of new social aims, organs, and means, and new possible state of social syntheses. Um, It sounds less like they're defining it in the classic bourgeois proletariat sense, and much more moving from a here are the people in charge to the people who have no power kind of mentality.
4: Yeah. It's a lot more general. I I respect that about this, uh, sort of theory of, um, class conflict that they're developing here. It's a lot more general. It's not just, um, just restricted to the the conflict between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And maybe because of that, it offers, um, new ways of thinking about revolutionary investment
0: well i think for certain it does and it's interesting to apply this again i'm sure i'm i know i know not everyone here is an american i'm sure you all are watching our clown show but it does feel like it changes how uh, class struggle or class conversations can happen inside of a situation where yes in the classic sense the bougie one percent owns our country and everyone else is on the other side except sort of half the country who's sort of with them and I don't really know and how's that working but instead saying like look that this is uh that the class is comprised of the class which has an interest in a given regime The the given regime and the way they've been talking about it is mo- molecular and molar a molar regime am I wrong?
4: Yeah, I think they're moving in these next couple paragraphs to discussing, um, for lack of a better word, like molar dynamics, large group dynamics. Um, and I liked what you said, because you hinted you hit at what they're going to say in the in the uh, next couple paragraphs, too, because I, I think this is a really good setup that they're getting at for why do people desire the repression of their own desire.
3: Yeah, if we go back to what I said previously about uh, Olivier Strauss and, you know, the structural analysis of uh, of the familial, you know, of uh, uh, family linkages and into an arborist and kind of um, fashion. If, if we think of like, if we do class analysis, we're only um, working with those molar aggregates. We're only working with those categories in a dialectical relationship to one another. And because of your place into one class or another, they give you the interest. They give you the spinness envy. You know, it's the same kind of thing. And what they're saying is that we need to go a little bit under that. And then we realize that people, wherever they are, they have different investments and desire passes through them, not in regard of structure or, you know, pre-given Desire of you know accumulation or revolutionary things and but it's 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 something that is happening. It's reorganizing um, on the field by itself and not regarding a structure. Because when they say that yeah, there there's one uh, class and the other class is can only exist in relation as a counter investment, it's you know it's because we give this idea or ideal formation of class a reality when when it should be an explanation you know instead of an explanation we make it the origin i don't know if you make this difference between those two uh it's like saying you know like society is ableist you know uh, to say a society is ableist should be uh, the conclusion of analysis but if we start saying that society is ableist and he's making the difference between different subjects Uh, we have a complete
0: different view of the universe. It's a really interesting way they end the paragraph as well. Uh, This becomes obvious in the capitalist regime, where, for example, primitive accumulation can take place only for the benefit of a restricted fraction of the whole of the dominant class. But it is just as obvious for the Russian Revolution with its formation of a party apparatus. The dominant class being the operative thing here not the concept of the uh, wealthy or the bourgeoisie or whatever it might be um, and it's one of those things that eternally always bothered me about kind of the classic class struggle um, with the USSR is the assumption that I well, actually no, even the proletariat will become the bourgeoisie at some point which is what I was taught animal farm meant at some point but doesn't matter I think it's an interesting uh, ending to it because it gives us a way to sort of attach to a new way of thinking of class.
1: Well, and then you'll have to deal with the problem of the petite bourgeois, right? The the bourgeois that are actually proletariat, but are proletariat serving the bourgeois.
0: Yeah, like... Strange,
1: like, ensnaring.
0: (laughs) I've been one of those guys. I I am one of those people, pretty much. Um, I think a lot of us here actually are. Um. Uh, it, there exists an entire slave class who's basically uh, at the whim of everything that's happening and it's horrifying Um, but it, it gives us a different way of looking at that and having that conversation and identifying uh, to me possible comrades
2: but you know what's interesting is that and what I like about this section I, I was joking in the chat that I think Zizek stole his introductions to the books on Trotsky and Lenin and Mao from this but there is a, there is a sense in which i think this thing about how there's kind of only one class in the sense of what is fitting to each societies and it's not just like i mean in an in an actual anthropological or sociological sense you would you would be wrong to say like you it's important to be like oh what are all these different gradations and you know how does this particular group work and this particular group but in this like structural you know, endlessly virtual thing that they're always trying to get at I do like it it makes me think of there's this famous spurious like painting from I want to say the eighteenth seventeenth century I think it's earlier maybe seventeenth century um, uh, of the divisions of racial types in the um, in Spanish colonial lands and there's similar ones for Portuguese as well and I'll try and find the screenshot of it but what's what what it makes me think about how the fiction there of this kind of like, oh, look at all these different, like these are the different kinds of mestizos. And it's like a, an Indian with a black person or an Indian with a white person and a white person with a black person. And you have all these different ranges that almost like, it, it kind of like feigns a fullness that is really, it's like this whole indexical logic when the really the whole society is organized around, you know, what what ended up being what we would call today, like white supremacy. And the the existence of these other classes in a way that is anything beyond, or groups of people, I'm using class in a general sense here, like, uh, they had to be, you know, people had to create themselves, you know, like the Haitian Revolution, they had to, uh, Colombo, or, you know, uh, different kind of like slave revolts and stuff. Like, they didn't exist in that gradation of endless
0: different kinds of like... You're sort of getting into the next paragraph. Sorry. No, no. I, I, I now have to read the next paragraph, uh, and we will maybe finish after that. We're going to continue. This situation is not at all adequate, however, for resolving the following problem: Why do many of those who have or should have an objective revolutionary interest maintain a preconscious investment of a reactionary type? And more rarely, how do certain people whose interest is objectionably, objectively? reactionary, come to effect a preconscious revolutionary investment. Must we invoke in the one case a thirst for justice, a just ideological position, as well as a correct and just view, and in the other case a blindness, the result of an ideological deception or mystification? Revolutionaries often forget, or do not like to recognize, that one wants and makes revolution out of desire, not duty. Here, as elsewhere, the concept of ideology is an execrable concept that hides the real problems, which are always of an organizational nature. If Reich, at the very moment he raised the most profound of questions, why did the masses desire fascism, was content to answer by invoking the ideological, the subjective, the irrational, the negative, and the inhibited, It was because he remained the prisoner of derived concepts that made him fall short of the materialist psychiatry he dreamed of, that prevented him from seeing how desire was part of the infrastructure, and that confined him in the duality of the objective and the subjective. Consequently, psychoanalysis was consigned to the analysis of the subjective, as defined by ideology. But everything is objective or subjective as one wishes. That is not the distinction. The distinction to be made passes into the economic infrastructure itself and into its investments. Libidinal economy is no less objective than political economy, and the political no less subjective than the libidinal, even though the two correspond to two modes of different investments of the same reality as social reality. There is an unconscious libidinal investment of desire that does not necessarily coincide with the preconscious investments of interest, and that explains how the latter can be perturbed and perverted in the most somber organization below all ideology. As I said we're getting into the next paragraph more than a little, right? Uh, I mean, that's the area we're talking about now: is now is, is revolution and the revolutionary uh, process. Would anyone like to give a thought before I dive in? I'm, as I can start talking. Um, one thing I really like here specifically that they call out—it's uh, one of my favorite lines uh, every time I've read this book. Actually, this is the first time I think I understand it in context. Revolutionaries often forget or do not like to recognize that one wants and makes revolution out of desire, not duty. I. Uh, you- so that's two things. Desire is an escape. Yep. You know, it's a line of flight.
3: And duty is the rectification or the correction of something because, you know, you're answering to an ideal, an ideal that should structure reality. But um, if you start with the material conditions, you know, desire is being organized as a potential of creating something else, not going back into like a reformist or, you know, reactionary sense.
0: Yes. Duty would be also something uh, that is very uh, much on the paranoiac side of things, uh, for sure. Uh,
3: And, you know, it's it's interesting. This kind of thing for, like, new social movements of what's happening on the Internet right now, you know, how, you know, we have... uh, you know the woke people on one side and you know we have the QAnon reactionaries and it's it's really interesting to see this because you know the woke people they want to g- go back to a sense of order in 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 some manner while uh the reactionaries are doing the same thing but the 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 potential of the revol the revolutionary potential is kind of inverted into uh, those two poles at this right moment. So I think that something happened in the seventies that probably was similar. That what's happening right now, and there's this weird, uh, you know, switching of points, which in which ideology cannot respond of.
1: Right, especially if you're so. Like to use your example of ableism, if you if you take a step back from that, right. So instead of talking about ableism, we're talking about ideology, right if you talk about ideology as the productive there, as the is, uh, you know, like that's what the problem is. And we just need a new ideology. And that comes with its new, um, with its new duties. Right. I, I think they're part of their main point here is you're just reproducing what you're trying to get out of. Right. So like, instead of like an actual line of flight, you're just kind of doing the same thing. Right. So like, you say that uh, these things start from a duty of this from their ideology, and so you believe that uh, you should construct a new ideology, so as to have different duties. But the problem with that is right, like you're not actually changing the, you're not really changing anything about the assemblage, right? Like you're you're just reproducing um, what you're trying to stop producing.
3: Yeah, because, and when they talk about. Ideology, I, I see the whole, you know, uh, the, the whole trope or I don't know how to call this in English, but th- this whole conflict between idealism and material uh, materialism. And it's, you know, idealism says that there's like those those abstracted forms that, you know, exist in the universe and we need to answer to them. While the materialist perspective says that there's material form and those ideals will arise of the organization of the material, so we we come from like two different um, orientations. I I think what they're trying to say, even though they sound uh, idealistic in 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 a way, I think they're not. I think they're truly you know uh, materialistic, and and they oppose um, stuff like Freud or Lacan into their idealistic form and that's why Zizek has a problem with Deleuze and Guattari because he comes from a type of materialism that becomes uh, idealistic in a sense
0: well, it's it's the when you have that deep investment in the molar concept of a thing which naturally has partial objects naturally isn't completely and fully explained that becomes a, a an example that came to mind of uh an example of this, that we're talking about, this kind of idea of someone who is trying down the revolutionary path but instead is becoming reactionary, in my mind, is a TERF. A TERF is almost like a great example of this uh, blown out. Uh, I, I, by the way, am not one. Um, but the idea of a turf, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, is someone who's so for women's rights as a concept that they've kind of forgotten the original point of it, uh, that sort of second-wave feminism, however you want to call it, and that sort of mentality if you were to put a someone who's a turf in nineteen ten the susan B Anthony would be a great example of this i I cheer on susan B anthony, you do your thing. she also uh, believed abortion to be a sin, and that you know gays weren't really good people, a whole bunch of other shit, but like I cheer on Susan B anthony at the time, a turf would be super 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 revolutionary, but they got so attached to the idea of what they are that now they're just that way. And now they're they're not joining the revolutionary path anymore. That that sort that's of, a,
3: I think that's a really good example. You know, it's something contemporary and everybody can understand. And you know, it's not because you were radical twenty years ago. If you keep up this ideal um, mind, but the material conditions have changed, you will become reactionary. You need to you know adapt to the changes of the material form. To be able to keep with the content and identify the line of flights that can arise. If not, you're just you know you're imposing structure. You're imposing. You say no, 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 no. I'm I'm gatekeeping right now. You're not. You're not a real. Uh, you're not a real woman.
0: No, it's. Uh, I I remember long ago having discussions about. Uh, I think during my time early on when I was into Ayn Rand online. Uh, it's a sad story, but uh, I had friends who were really into Ron Paul. Uh, well, friends, people I knew online. And we would have discussions and we would agree on so many things. Like corporations were evil. Banks needed to be taken down, all of these things. And then when we came to how do you want to actually handle it, they would say, Oh, we want to kill all the Jews And that was this moment of like, Oh, you we want the same thing, sort of, but you're you're deeply invested in these larger stories that are way out there and not talking about actually what are the material conditions that cause a thing to be made how do we get rid of it you're so stuck in that larger story
3: yeah see see the the, the the example that you're giving us right now i gave this to my roommate earlier today it's like if you want to criticize liberalism into its mo- uh, neoliberalism in its moment of emergence you take carl schmidt uh, conservative and fascist thinker and he's, you know, in his criticism is all right. What you need to do is skip the conclusion. You know, <laughs> you you take the analysis because he's at the same point as you, just from a different perspective. But the conclusion of the left and the right yep. are uh, diametrical opposites.
0: Well, and it's why I mean, I it's it, why I genuinely believe the right has taken hold so well in America. Uh, Steve Bannon, I would say, would be another version of what you're talking about. Just fantastic criticism with really the wrong outcome of the entire thing um if you haven't seen his films there's actually a lot of very interesting stuff that the conclusion doesn't is not no don't do that but it it works because again it plays to the paranoiac it plays to the molecular the the molar investments people already have uh rather than having them really sit down and talk about the material conditions and what's driving that
2: I always go back to that quote
0: "The anti-Semitism
2: is the socialism that's what I feel like a lot of this is
0: anti-Semitism is the socialism of fools great line it's a great line Uh, with that line we are going to end the day and the reading we got hey we got like like more than two pages through look at us aren't we cool Uh, we're at 345 and we will continue uh, I think tomorrow uh, same time same place uh, and we'll put up a poll uh, every week about uh, continuing and making do and charging through. I don't. I know this is a time for people to travel, in theory. I don't know if anyone's traveling, in theory, holidays, religions, whatever, whatever your bag you got. Uh, we're going to see about how we dance around some of those things, but uh, we're making good progress. So thank you guys very much. Uh, talk to you later. There we go. I'm just going to end the broadcast. I'm going to cut earlier. That was terrible. That's a terrible ending, bro. Why would you do that?